Daniel chapter 9. It's a prayer. And what a prayer it is. If I was going to give this talk a title, I'd call it Back to the Future. Where do you go if you want to know the meaning and significance of world events? What's happening in our world? Where do you go for peace and assurance about the future? Do we turn on the TV and, and watch the news? Do we read the newspapers? Do we search the internet? How about reading the Bible? How about praying to the God of heaven and earth? Daniel is one of those books in the Bible that is a mixture of history and prophecy. The first part of Daniel is history, what happened to him and his friends in exile in Babylon. The second part, as we've been discovering, is about the dreams and visions that he has. Daniel is a book in which God tells us the meaning and significance of world events and even looks ahead 500 years or more and even to the end of days. And through it all, the assurance comes through that God is in control. He is working his purposes out. Daniel chapter 9 begins with Daniel reading his Bible, the books, the scriptures that he had available to him. Of course, Daniel didn't have the Bible that we have. He didn't have the New Testament, obviously. He didn't have all of the Old Testament. In fact, he was still writing it in his diary every day. But through what he had, God spoke, and especially through the prophet Jeremiah. We already know from Daniel that he set aside three times in the day to open his window facing Jerusalem and to pray and to worship. And as frequently as he opened his window, he would open the scriptures that he had. These were a lifeline to the exiles, a lifeline for their faith. And as we hear him pray, we can tell that the scriptures have really got into his heart. It's part of who he is. And out of the overflow of his heart, he begins to pray. Notice too that Daniel and his friends are learning to worship without the temple, without the sacrifices. We know a little bit about that too. We're learning to worship in our homes, in front of our computers, our tablets, our mobile phones. We can't gather in our buildings as we would want. So we're learning to worship in different ways. To disciple ourselves in different ways. Perhaps the meetings that Daniel and his friends had would become the template for synagogue worship. Worship that Jesus, Paul, and the early disciples would have been very familiar with. And the other thing I notice about Daniel here is that in verse 21, he's praying at the time of the evening sacrifice. He found it important to keep the rhythms and times of worship, those healthy spiritual habits. And he says that as he was reading 
the words of the prophet Jeremiah, he was struck by what he read. Chapter 9 happens at a significant time, a significant moment. He says it's the first year of King Darius, the Persian, son of Xerxes. This means we've come to that point in Daniel where the Persians have conquered Babylon, the old empire has fallen, Cyrus, king of Persia, has put Darius on the throne of Babylon. And if you remember, it was under King Darius that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. It's a time of upheaval yet again in Daniel's life, in the life of the nation. And what will it mean? Is there a chance for freedom for the exiles? Where does Daniel go? To whom does he turn? He goes to God. God, what do you say? God, what's next in your plans? And as he reads the scripture, he prays. These are two keys to discipleship. Prayer and reading the scriptures will nourish our souls. They will ground us in the truth of God's word. He has some of the writings of Jeremiah. Maybe Daniel would have known Jeremiah while he was still in Jerusalem. He may have even heard him speak, we don't know. But what we do know is Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And when others said peace, Jeremiah said war. When others said security, Jeremiah said exile. When others said, oh, it will only last a short while, Jeremiah said it will last 70 years. Jeremiah was not a popular preacher. He didn't leave his hearers feeling cosy and comforted after a lovely sermon. Imagine, lovely message this morning, Jerry, as they filed out of church. No, they would either be cut to the heart or their hearts would be hardened. In fact, many hated him for what he was saying because he was warning them, because of their rebellious ways, because of their disobedience to God, because of their unfaithfulness, because of their sins, their greed, their idolatry even, God's judgment was falling. Exile. And here Daniel reading that letter to the exiles that we find in Jeremiah, especially chapter 29, his heart must have skipped a beat. When he read verse 10, the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And verse 14, then I will bring you back from captivity. Amazing words. And as Daniel reads those words, he suddenly realizes that that time is nearly now. But it will not automatically happen. There is a clear condition in the words of Jeremiah. Seek me with all of your heart. And to Daniel, this means repentance, it means prayer, it means worship. 
and he falls to his knees in prayer and fasting, in sackcloth and ashes, those symbols of mourning and repentance. And what a prayer we're privileged to read. It's always a privilege to hear the saints of God pray. I feel like that every Wednesday morning when we gather to pray at eight o'clock and every hungry gathering that we have and we pray together and we hear one another. What a privilege. And here we have the privilege of listening to Daniel's prayer, but not only listening to it, joining in with it. It's a model prayer for us as we pray for our nation and the nations of the world. And he begins with worship and praise for who God is, for what God has done, what God will do. And worship runs through this prayer like the writing you find in a stick of rock. He worships the God who is perfect, the God who is loved, the God who is faithful, the God who keeps his word and keeps his promises. The God who is full of mercy and grace. The God who is mighty to save again and again. And notice too that Daniel says sorry before he says please. God has been so good, but they've been rotten. God has been so faithful, but they have been unfaithful. We have sinned, he says. We have missed the mark. We have fallen short. And notice that he says we and not they. Daniel wasn't blaming anyone else, and he could have done, he could have just said to God, it wasn't me. I was just a child. I was just a teenager when we were carried off into exile in Babylon. I have been faithful, even in a foreign land, even under severe persecution. I have stood for you, God. But he doesn't say that. He says, we have sinned. And Daniel seeks the presence of God. And when men and women seek the presence of God, that real presence of God, confession is the thing that nearly always pours out of them. Think of Isaiah in his encounter with the Lord in his vision in Isaiah 6. Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Think of Peter when he meets Jesus. Get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. Daniel pours out his heart to God. He confesses with shame the disobedience of God's people. And between the lines, we hear this astonishing message coming through loud and clear that the old sacrifices are not what God is really looking for. He seeks a heart that is contrite. David in Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And we are even in a more privileged position than Daniel because we know Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. He laid down his life for us. He has made us at one with God, atonement. Nothing else is needed, no religion, no other sacrifice. Christ is enough. This is a model prayer for us today. God has been so good to us, yet we as a nation have turned away from him, from his ways. Do we deserve as a nation God's blessing or God's judgment? Daniel cries for mercy and we cry for mercy. 
we ask for forgiveness. We say sorry to God. Verse 17, now hear, O God, my prayer, says Daniel. And Daniel gives God the best reason why he should answer his prayer. And I love this in his prayer. Nothing of his own goodness, nothing of his own righteousness. But he says, because of your great mercy, God, because of your goodness, for your namesake, for your glory, God, because of your promises. I must confess that a lot of my prayers are requests for me. This request of Daniel is for God, your name, your sake, your glory. And while he is still in prayer in verse 21, God answers. It's incredible to read. The angel Gabriel is sent to Daniel. God has told me to come. He has an answer for you. Can one person's prayer really change things? Yes, it can. Here is the proof. Daniel's prayer stirs heaven. And God answers. And as we know, God answers our prayers, but not always as we expect him to or want him to. We always want the answer by last Tuesday. But God does answer Daniel. Deliverance will come. Daniel had believed the scriptures 70 years, said Jeremiah. Daniel believed that. The time was soon up. And we know that the exiles did return. Under Ezra and Nehemiah, Jerusalem was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt. But here we see that God has even bigger plans. He wants to do so much more than even Daniel can ask or imagine. We have one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God wants to bring salvation to the world. And now we come to that bit in chapter 9 with all the numbers in. 70 times 7. 7 times 7. 62 times 7. What do these all mean? Well, it could be. 70 times 7 is 490, that's 490 days, just under a year and a half. Or if it was years, 490 years. There's been so much debate and speculation about the numbers. But let's not get sidetracked by just the numbers and see the bigger picture here. I remember reading where Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness. How often shall I forgive someone? 70 times, thinking that's a big number. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And he didn't just mean 490 times. Go on forgiving. Yet there is something remarkable here in these numbers. The goal of history the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, the Savior. Roughly 490 years from the time of Daniel to the coming of Jesus. And here in this prophecy and in this prayer, we get that glimpse of the coming of Jesus, the anointed one. Even in verse 26, it says he will be put to death. There is a prophecy here about the birth and the life and the death 
and the resurrection of Jesus and even the end times, the return of Jesus as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This is the big picture of Daniel, the big picture of the apocalyptic, whether in Daniel or Revelation or in other parts of the scripture. Jesus wins, the Lamb wins. Daniel, God has heard your cry. And as he prays, God unfolds his perfect plan and he gives Daniel a glimpse of those plans. God knows what he is doing. It's really comforting to know that, isn't it? God's timing is always perfect. And that's the main thing. Where do we go for meaning and significance of the events of our day and the times that we live in? Where do we go for help? Where do we go for assurance of the future? Well, we turn to God, the author and perfecter of our faith. We turn in prayer, in relationship. We turn in reading the scriptures. We turn in worship. We turn in repentance. And we rediscover that God is there for us and he speaks to us and he wants to walk with us from here and now into eternity. The psalmist asks, where does our help come from? And he emphatically says, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So let us pray. And when we pray, let us pray for God's glory, for God's name, for God's sake. For we know it will be all right in the end. And if it's not yet all right, it's not quite the end. Amen.